Well, today I'm going to talk about something that the majority of us do, but very few of us actually enjoy doing it. Hardly any of us look forward to it. In fact, most of us complain about it. A lot of us like to make excuses to get out of doing it. And many of us in here are probably not going to be doing it tomorrow morning due to tonight's Super Bowl. What am I talking about? Work. I am talking about work. You know, statistics say that 80% of us are dissatisfied with our jobs. I mean, that is a huge number. Some of us don't like what we do. Some of us don't like where we do it. Some of us don't like who we do it with. And then there's some of us who just don't like to do it, period. It's like that man that told his doctor he just wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he used to do. He just, he just couldn't do it. So the doctor started this long and very thorough examination. And when the examination was complete, the man said, Doc, he said, you need to give it to me straight. I can take it. Tell me in plain English what's wrong with me. Doctor said, well, in plain English, you're just lazy. Okay, said the man. Now give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. Listen, whether or not you like it, we were created to work. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. And take care of it. So from the beginning, it's always been God's will for us to work. You see, he knew if Adam and Eve would labor, that they would develop abilities and that would lead to experiencing joy and the pride of accomplishment. He said, here, work the garden. Cultivate it. Contribute. Create. Produce value. Make the world around you a better place. You see, it's through our work that God does some of his greatest work. And that is what we are going to talk about today. As Chris said, we are in a series titled Reset. A couple weeks ago, we reset our relationships. Last week, we reset our finances. This series has been about kind of changing the way that we look at things. And today... I want us to see that work is more than just something that we do to make money. It's more than just a place we work. It's a place God works. And the big idea for today that I'm going to keep talking about is this. Your workplace is God's workplace. Your workplace is God's workplace. And it doesn't matter where your workplace is. You may be a student, so your workplace is a school. You may be a stay-at-home parent, so your workplace is the home and the surroundings and all the situations that that kind of puts you in. So whether you work in a factory, whether it's an office, a hospital, whatever, your workplace is God's workplace. And I'm going to talk about three ways That God is at work in your workplace. And the first is this. God is working in you.
God is working in you. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So wherever you work, whatever you do, the most important thing is that you honor God. See, God wants you to honor Him by the way you work, by the decisions that you make, by the way that you, you treat other people around you, by the way that you represent Him, by the way that you respond, even in tough circumstances at times. There's a story in Genesis chapter 39. It's about a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph is an Israelite who is in Egypt working for a man named Potiphar, who the Bible says was one of Pharaoh's, the king's, officials. Now, technically, Joseph really didn't apply for this position. I'd love to say he kind of sold himself in the interview process, but in truth, he was sold by his siblings to a group of merchants who then sold him to Potiphar in Egypt. So he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 37 verse 3 that Israel, that's Joseph's father Jacob who God changed his name to Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. So Joseph was the baby. Verse 4 says when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word to him. So the brothers, they didn't like Joseph. The brothers resented Joseph. They were jealous of him. And then in verse 5, and this is important to remember today, it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So Joseph tells his brothers About this dream that he has. How he's going to be somebody. He's not going to be tending flock with them forever. He's going to go somewhere. He's going to be someone. And he goes ahead and lets them know too that in this dream they're going to be bowing down to him. So you can imagine how well this goes over. Especially in an already charged environment. So they hated him even more. And they hate him so much. That they want him gone. Now I'm the youngest child in my family. And I definitely took much abuse from my siblings. There were the titanic titty twisters. Leaving me black and blue. There was the devastating Dutchman's rub. That I swear contributed to my bald spot. There were atomic wedgies where your underwear is actually ripped up and off, leaving welts. And then my least favorite, the supercharged nitro swirly. Which unlike the standard swirly where your head goes in the toilet and your hair gets wet when it's flushed, the supercharged nitro swirly is when your face actually gets rubbed on and around the entire bowl as the toilet's being flushed. That's a refreshing one. It's great childhood memories. But Joseph's brothers, 
Man, they take things a bit further. They actually devise this plan to get rid of him. And they follow through with it. And they sell him to a group of merchants that pass by as they're tending their flock. And then to cover their tracks in this whole deal, they slaughtered one of their sheep. They dipped Joseph's robe in it and took it back and showed it to their father, who then believed that he had been devoured by an animal. So Joseph is now working for Potiphar. And the Bible says he's doing an amazing job. Genesis 39 verse 2 says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verse 3 says when his master saw that the Lord was with him and saw that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So in spite of what happened, in spite of how things had gotten to this point, Joseph is doing his best. He's giving it his all. He's honoring God. I mean, this wasn't, this may not have been where he wanted to be. This didn't seem to be a part of this vision. This didn't seem to be a part of this dream that Joseph had. But this was where he was currently at. And he was making the best of it. And good things were happening. Because God blesses things when we do those things to the best of our ability. You see, how we work is a reflection of who we are. And more importantly, how we work is a reflection of whose we are. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. You see, Paul who wrote this is saying, As Christians... We don't work for the same things as others. We don't work for the same ones as others. And we don't work in the same way as others. I bet every one of us knows somebody at work. That one person that just seems to give 100%. Each week, right? 12% on Monday... 23% on Tuesday, 40 on Wednesday, 20 on Thursday, and maybe, if you're lucky, 5% on Friday. That's 100% each week. And we have scripture for those people. It's 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. You know, we may live in a society where mediocrity is commonplace, but God does not call his people to be mediocre. God calls us to be more. God calls us to do more. You know that phrase, go the extra mile, it comes from the Bible. It's Matthew 5, verse 31. Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You see, back in those days, there was a law that Roman soldiers could make you carry their stuff for a mile, but only a mile. And Jesus said, hey, show them you're different. Do more than you have to. Exceed expectations like Joseph. Serve your God diligently. 
even in the toughest circumstances, even in the most uncomfortable situations, even in the most hostile environments at times. Be the right thing, even when the wrong things are happening. Your workplace is God's workplace, and God is working in you. He's given you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Second way, God is at work in your workplace. God is working through you. God is working through you. Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. You know, the average adult is awake 16 hours a day. And 10 of those hours are work-related. Might be getting ready for work. Might be commuting to work. But on average, 10 of those hours are work-related. So if it's Monday through Friday, that's roughly 50 hours a week having to do with work. Now, in contrast, most of us, most of us, spend an hour a week at church. Less bunch gets long-winded on us. So what's that tell us? That the most important form of ministry is not at church. It's in the workplace. And that's where God's presence matters. A third of our lives, 90,000 hours of our lifetime is an opportunity, like the Scripture says, for God to use us, to be of use to God, to make the most of the opportunity. And how does God tell us to do it wisely? He says, with wisdom. Little Johnny, he's standing in the barn with his grandpa. And there's rabbits in the barn, so there's droppings all over the floor. Little Johnny looks down and he says, What are all those pellets on the ground, Grandpa? Grandpa says, Well, they're smart pills, Johnny. Eat them and you'll get smarter. Well, little Johnny, he liked the idea of that, so he scooped up a handful off the ground, he shoved them in his mouth, and he immediately spits them out. He says, Ugh! Those taste like crap, Grandpa. Grandpa says, see, you're getting smarter already. (laughs) Wisdom. You see, God is working through us in the workplace to make the most of every opportunity to minister for him. But he wants us to do it wisely. Because there are good ways... And there are bad ways to do it. You guys remember these knuckleheads here? Westboro Baptist Church. They would picket funerals of soldiers with signs and bullhorns telling people that their deceased loved one was in hell. And telling you to turn or burn. They were explicit with their signs. They were explicit with their language. And I just wonder if anyone, if anyone ever saw them or heard them and thought, 
that's what I'm missing. I want what they've got. I want to follow their God. See, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying the way to evangelize, the way to minister someone is to show them by your actions what you believe. See, when you honor God in the workplace, people notice. They do. They see integrity. They see character. They see you're working hard. You've got a great attitude. You're honest. You're encouraging. You're not putting people down. You're the one lifting people up. Man, that's what points people to God. Because when you look good, God looks good. And people take notice. Man, they notice there is something about you. And then, then maybe they see that cross around your neck. Then maybe they notice you're reading a devotion on break. Then they notice you're bowing your head and blessing your food before you eat. And then, eventually, God opens a door for you to speak. It's like you've earned an opportunity for people to listen to you. In our story, we now go to Genesis chapter 40. And we find that Joseph has changed jobs. He's now making license plates for Egyptian chariots. He's in prison. Chapter 39 closed with Potiphar's wife trying to seduce Joseph. And when he refused, telling her he would not do this wicked thing and sin against God, she falsely accused him of forcing himself onto her, and he was thrown in prison. And in verse 21, it says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So again, different location, same outcome. He wins people over. He's now honoring God in a different situation. And people are noticing. He's earning their respect. And then, one day, an opportunity presented itself for Joseph to speak into someone's life. There were two men. The cupbearer for the king and the baker for the king. And they were in the area that Joseph oversees And he noticed something was wrong. He noticed these two were distraught. And because he cared, he asked them what was wrong. And they respond in verse 8, We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. So now, 
We have a door opening. We have an opportunity for Joseph to evangelize. We have an opportunity for Joseph to minister. And it says, Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? You see, everything we've read up to this point has been about Joseph acting out his faith. He's been showing what he believes, and now he gets a chance to share what he believes. And he doesn't say turn or burn. He very wisely, very casually brings God into the conversation. You notice he doesn't shy away from it. You see, too many people are afraid to engage because we think, I don't have all the answers. We think, I don't really have a lot of biblical knowledge. We aren't called to know everything. And we aren't called to do everything. But man, we are called to be obedient when God is working through us with whomever and wherever He has placed us. My wife is really amazing in this area. And though she like, has a quiet demeanor about her, God uses her to impact people in her workplace. And she builds relationships and she presents herself in a way that honors God and God works through her to plant seeds of faith into people's lives and she'll share devotions with co-workers. She invites them to church. We've traveled to other churches and we've watched people that she has influenced get baptized, just celebrated with them. But like the scriptures say, she makes the most of every opportunity and she does it in a wise way. She's, she lets her light shine, lets that point to God. She's meek. She's gentle. She doesn't go overboard. She doesn't yell and scream. At least not to other people. She does me sometimes. There was this one morning. It was a Saturday. I get up early, so I'm downstairs. She wakes up. She comes downstairs, and I'm grumbling about something. I don't even know. I woke up grouchy that day, and she listened for a minute. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she says, Stop! I rebuke your negativity in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, The heck just happened? It worked, though. She's very spiritual. You see, God arranges things so we are where... He chooses us to be. And our interactions with people, it has an impact on them. And it has an impact on the kingdom of heaven. And Joseph lets the cupbearer and the baker know that he doesn't have the answers that they're looking for. But God does. And through him, God interprets their dreams. And the cupbearer is saved. The baker, he gets hung the next day. But it's not our job to do the saving. We do the showing. We can do the sharing. We cannot do the saving. You know, every time we walk into the workplace, wherever we're at, 
wherever God has us at at the moment, we are representing Jesus Christ. Your workplace is God's workplace. He is working in you and He is working through you. Third way I want to talk about God is working in your workplace. God is working for you. God is working for you. You know, I, I know that Christians love to ridicule the prosperity gospel. Preachers on TV that say, name it, claim it. And I don't believe that a person has to send in money to buy something dipped in holy water to be blessed. I mean, if you've given your life to Christ and you've been dipped in the holy water, meaning baptism, you are already blessed. But to think that prosperity isn't a part of God's plan, I mean, that's ridiculous to me. All throughout the Bible, book after book, it's filled with Scripture on God granting success and pouring out favor on His people. If God doesn't call us to act average, He won't call us to be average. See, the problem is, too many of us define success in the wrong ways. Our idea of success doesn't match God's idea of success because we tend to think it's all about worldly wealth, worldly possessions, and we tend to make it about the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts. We can't get so caught up in where we want to be that we miss out on where we're at. And just because you aren't yet where you want to be doesn't mean you aren't where God wants you to be. God's plan is bigger than your plan. God's plan is greater than your plan. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. See, too many people think I can only be blessed if God gets me out of here. But God wants to bless you right where you're at. God can give you success no matter where you are currently at in the plan. See that first story I shared. When Joseph was sold to Potiphar, it said, and I quote, the Lord was with him and gave him success in everything he did. The second story I shared while Joseph was in prison, again it said, and again I quote, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Being sold into slavery was not a part of Joseph's dream. 
being put in prison was not a part of Joseph's dream, but it became a stepping stone to where he was going. Now watch this. In Genesis chapter 41, we are told that Pharaoh, the king himself, has a dream that troubles him. And he calls for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt, but none of them can interpret his dream for him. And then his chief cupbearer tells him about a guy named Joseph who he had met two years earlier. So Joseph is summoned from prison, and in chapter 41, verse 15, it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And God, through Joseph, interprets the dream and explains it's about seven years of abundance coming to the land followed by seven years of famine like no one has ever seen before and that this dream was giving to him to prepare through the good years for the bad years. And in verse 39 it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you. There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. So Joseph was put in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And he went on to save the entire nation, including his brothers, who chapter 43, verse 26 said, bowed down before him. We just can't always see the plan. We just can't always see why God has placed us in a certain situation. Listen carefully. Where you are, what you do, and how you do it matters. It matters in your story. It matters in someone else's story. And it matters in God's story. We are to dream for the big things and honor God in the small things. And remember that the same God who took Joseph from a prison to a palace is the same God who is working in you, through you, and for you. Let's bow our heads.
dear God, we, um, yeah, we come before you, God, thankful for reminding us through your word that there is a much larger purpose for the workplace than what we usually think. God, we want to be able to honor you wherever we are. Wherever you have placed us. And we want to be used by you for those who are around us. And God, let us be a blessing to those that we have to answer to at work. And God, let us be a blessing to those that answer to us. And God, I pray that with this resetting of our work perspectives, God, I pray that your people in here will prosper. God, I pray the people in here get the jobs they apply for. God, I pray that we get the raises. I, God, I pray that we get the promotions. I pray we become people that places want to hire. They're going to be looking for Christians to come in the places because of the way that we work or the way that we honor. Knowing that our workplace is your workplace and you have big things in store. And God, if there's anyone in here today that has never made that decision to turn their life over to you, I invite them now to share this prayer. And they can speak it out loud. They can speak it in their hearts. It doesn't matter. We can all speak it together like Chris likes to do. But if you're ready to be made new and have your name written in the book of life, repeat after me, dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask for forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was raised to bring me new life. And I confess Him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him from this day forward. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.